All right. Well, thank you for indulging me so I could get those notes down because I find, like, everyone's wired differently. And there's certain people in my life who always say, well, if it's really important to you, you won't forget. And I'm like, no, you don't know me. <laughs> it could be really, really important to me, and I could still forget. <laughs> and, like, it could be on my mind, and I could still forget. Or I, it's not that I'll forget forever, but I'll forget until some other time when it's, like, not convenient or too late or something like that. So I'm a little bit compulsive about writing things down. All right. Let's see if I can pull back the threads of what we were talking about here. We had ended, we're in this introduction to Baruch Shem, Kvod which is so mysterious. And we saw this Gemara, which was, uh, well, it was cited by Abu Darham in Source Base, where he talks about um, first Yaakov and his sons, where they said Shema Yisrael and he reacted. He, he sort of responded to that with a statement of Baruch Hashem. And then Chazal asked, so Hechinavid, what should we do? Namre, should we say it? Lo Amri Moshe. Moshe didn't say it. Look at the Pesukim in Source 1. Shema Yisrael Hashem Amkeinu Hashem Echad V'yachavta Eis Hashem Elokecha. There's no Baruch Hashem Pasuk stuck in over there. So Moshe didn't say it. And, and we mentioned, like, it doesn't even sound odd to us because since you whisper it, it sounds perfectly normal saying it straight through without it. Lo Namre, if we don't say it, Amri Yaakov. Yaakov did say it. So they, so Chazal established we should say it in a whisper. And this seems even more strange, because now you're not doing it either way. Right? That's not... Uh, the only other example that came to mind for me was mezuzah. Right? Where one says you should have it vertically on the doorpost, one says horizontally, and we do it in an angle. And we always hear Devi Torah about how that's shalom bias, to do it in an angle, and you confront... But like... That is not typical halachic stock, right? Well, you say we should have, like, one kezayas, you say we should have two kezayas, and we'll have one and a half, so everyone will be, ha- like, no. Because the way you got to some psak and halacha was by parsing very carefully what is the true essence of this thing, or what is the fundamental definition of it. So you don't then muddy it all up by saying, well, this is approximately okay. It's good enough. We'll be happy. And we don't do that. So why would you suddenly start doing that? So the, I, there may be some other example. There probably is, and I'm just not thinking of it. But the example doesn't help us really to see, like, why such a strange outcome, really. We have to appreciate how strange it is that you have, on the one side, it could do one way. You could say it. On the other side, you could not say it. So we'll say it in a whisper. That is weird. So then Abu Darham, possibly responding to that, brings the Medrash in Eiladvar Rabba. Why do we say Baruch Shem in a whisper? And, and the Medrash goes on to describe that when Moshe went on high, he overheard the Malachim singing this praise of Hashem. Remember, we're talking about Shema. Kriya Shema is at that world of Bria, of the Malachim. He heard that, and he came back down and taught it to us. And Rav Shmuel Bar Nachmani compares this to a person who's maybe the son of the daughter, like a grandson of the king, not apparently in line to actually become a king, but he's in the family. And he has a daughter, and anytime she sees any beautiful clothing or anything she likes, he buys it for her. And one time he's in the palace and he sees this really beautiful 
royal, like something for the royal entourage, some kind of beautiful cloak. So he takes it home, <laughs> gives it to his daughter, and says, all the other clothes that, are, that I got for you, you could wear them out in public. This one is stolen, so just wear it in the house. Don't take it past the front door. Okay, and Moshe says, he says, so this is like, well, Moshe says, you know, like, don't take this outside. You could say Baruch shame, but like whisper it, because like I stole. This is a very disturbing passage. That's why I'm repeating it, because it's almost like we can't go on, like, you know, without no. Like, this is very, very odd. I mean, we stole it, first of all, and if it is stolen, then why? Why in the world would we then sort of justify that? <laughs> By saying, no problem, you could wear it, just wear it in the house. Like, to me, that feels very dishonest. That doesn't seem... Okay, so that was kind of the question that we were talking about. And the, what we ended with was a question that the Briskarov brings with regard to... Um, well, we have it here. It's source Gimel, because you remember I added a page, so it's sort of like the source Gimel. Yeah, okay. Source Gimel, which is the Rambam. That Rambam explains that our trust in Moshe Rabbeinu is not because of the miracles that he did, because anyone who will believe someone or trust in them because they do wonders that can't be understood, like, oh my goodness, that's amazing, that must prove he has supernatural power. That person always has dofi, dofi is dupi, like a double mouth. Like there's always gonna be some other possible side of skepticism left in their heart. There's room to be skeptical, why? Because maybe afterward you find out how the trick was done. And when you find out how the trick was done, then you no longer believe in them anymore because you realize that the trick was not proof of any special access to godliness this there was just like they had electricity running in the back right or there was a second person helping them so because of, because that's a problem he said he says he goes to great lengths to explain like with all the miracles that moshe did they were always just whatever was necessary for the time so the people needed water, so he brought them, like, so Hashem sent him to get water. Or the people need to get safely through the sea, so the sea will split and they'll go through the sea. But they weren't performed to convince us that he was really God's messenger. We believed he was God's messenger because we could witness God speaking to him and speaking through him. So at Har Sinai, and Moshe describes later, he says, Panim el panim diber Hashem imochem. Face to face, God spoke with you. Recalling Harsinai. Now we know that God spoke to Moshe face to face. What does it mean he spoke to us face to face? The answer is we could hear Hashem saying, the Ramah says, Moshe, Moshe. He called him from the night. He said, we could hear Hashem saying, go tell the Jews such and such. And then Moshe would come and tell us such and such. Right? So we knew for a fact that God spoke to Moshe spoke to him directly, and that Moshe would give over exactly what Hashem said to him. And then we said that in the Haggadah, we have a statement 
from Chazal, really. It's not from the Haggadah. We're familiar with it from the Haggadah. I'm just looking to see here. I have it in Yud. Vayatzienu Hashem yimitzrayim biyad chazaka uvizroa netuya uvimora gadol ba'osos uvimosim. Hashem took us out of Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, with tremendous awe and with signs and with wonders. Vayatzienu Hashem yimitzrayim. God took us out of Egypt. Lo ayedei malach, not through an angel. Lo ayedei saraf, not through a fire angel. Lo ayedei shaliach, not through a messenger. Ela hakadosh baruch hu bichvodo uveatzmo shenamar. Only Hashem Himself, with all His glory, as the pasuk says, Ani Hashem, I am God. And and then it breaks down. Ani hu velo acher. It is I and no other. And we said, Ah, that's very interesting. Ani velo acher. And we're talking about echad and not acher. We see there's a, a concept going here. But if so, then what's Moshe doing here? And this is how the Briska Rav explains Moshe's question when Moshe says to Hashem, Mi Ani, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Not who am I, like I'm not important enough to go to Pharaoh. Briska Rav says, Moshe is saying, you're sending me to Pharaoh to take the Jews out of Egypt? You're supposed to take the Jews out of Egypt yourself. Why you? This is terrible. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you're sending. Me or anyone else. This is, this is disastrous. We thought you were taking us out of Egypt. And Hashem says the proof is, and this is based on the Pesukim with the Rashi, the proof is that when you come to this mountain, meaning Har Sinai, which is where he saw the burning bush, they will worship me. We won't worship Moshe. We'll worship Hashem. That Moshe is not going as himself. Whatever comes through Moshe, and this is unique to Moshe, whatever comes through Moshe is only God's word itself. Now, it's possible that it was only with the taking up of this role that he fully moved to that level. Because Moshe himself is questioning it, right? He didn't. It's almost like once Hashem explains that to him, he's like, oh, okay. Because, like, I'm really not holding there. So one interesting piece of that, and maybe a clue to that, Rav Hirsch says, I think it's in Hazinu, on Ki Ani Anihu. He talks about the difference between Ani and Anochi. Ani means I, and Anochi means I, or me. So what's the difference? Why does the Torah sometimes use one and sometimes use another? And Rav Hirsch explains that the word Ani means me as opposed to somebody else. It it identifies me out of a, sort of by rejecting any other personalities as being the one we're talking about. So if someone came into the room and said, who left their coffee on the table? And I said, oh, I did. It means me, not, not Michelle, not Sarah, not Ariel, right? Like me, but not them. It's not anything about who I am. It's identifying myself from other people. The word anochi refers to who the person is. The essence of the person? Maybe the essence, the personality, the, the uniqueness of the person. The anochios. So I don't, we haven't talked about it so much in this year. It would be great to find a great opportunity to do it. I can't say one immediately comes to mind. Maybe at the end of Shema we have some of the Aniha Shemel Kechems would be a nice place, but when it's, it's an amazing tip-off from Rav Hirsch 
that whenever you're reading a Pasuk, if you see Ani or you see Anochi, when the word Anochi comes up, it means that there is something relevant here about the identity of the one being referred to, whether it's God or a person. As soon as it says Anochi, there's something like significant about that person and their uniqueness, their Tzalem Elohim, like from within, who they are and what their mission is in life and what God has sent them here to the world to do and to project of God's image into the world. That is Anochi. So, oh, that's why it's Anochi Hashem Elokecha, Asher Hotzeisichem, Eretz Mitzrayim. Like this, you're talking about Hashem. Now, and there's other places where it's like, Ani velo acher. Right? That would have been weird if Chazal had said, Anochi velo acher. Because that's not what that word means. Once you're talking about Anochi, there is no consideration for anybody else. Because you're already talking about this person as a unique channel of godliness into the world. So, there's no thought that there's anyone else there. Whereas with the word Ani, the assumption is there's others, but we're identifying this one. So Ani Acher, God says, no, it's me, none other. That makes sense, because once you're talking about none other, then that's me as opposed to that. Me as opposed to Amalach, me, okay. And yet we saw in Bamidbar that Moshe, when telling the people of Edom about what happened, that Hashem took us out of Egypt, describes that Hashem sent a malach, and Rashi says he means himself. So Moshe is described on the one hand as a malach, and on the other hand, in which case Hashem did send a malach, just not a celestial being, he sent Moshe. And on the other hand, Hashem did not send a malach, he himself took us out. So it seems Let's, let's go further before we just sort of pull it together. Let's just take a few more sources into here. <laughs> Sorry. If we wanted to talk about this in terms of Yom Kippur, that's the piece of paper we want, but we don't. Take a look at a couple more of these sources. Ches, Bamidbar. Pe'el pe adaber bo. Umar e. Velo bechidos. I feel like there might be a missing word there. Usmunas Hashem yabit. Umadua lo yeresen ladaber ba'avdi b'moshe. Hashem says, how could you, how could you speak against Moshe? I speak pe'el pe adaber bo. So we usually translate that, which is, I mean, however you translate it, it's going to be a struggle. Mouth to mouth, I speak to him. And you say, part of mouth to mouth resuscitation, not mouth to mouth talking. In fact, if you want someone to hear you well, usually you talk mouth to ear, not mouth to mouth. That's a misreading of the Pasuk. If you start from the end, adaber bo, doesn't mean I speak to him. That's adaber lo. Adaber bo means I speak in him. Pe el pe. Mouth to mouth, I speak in him. I speak through Moshe. How could you suggest? 
that Moshe is saying anything like on his own, making it up. How could you? You know, you're a Jew, you were there, you've seen it yourself. God's words come out of Moshe's mouth. So more like you, a puppet. Yes, and yet he has free will. Okay, so there's a very, um, uh, uh, there's another, you know that we didn't quite get it. We're going to talk about pakod pakadati a little bit. There was the, the secret password for the Mashiach. I, I imagine there's one now too, I don't know. Um, which was pakod pakadati. And this was passed down, we, we seem to, it seems that like Serach, the daughter of Asher, who lived an exceptionally long life, I've heard differing opinions. One is that she did die later on. One is she's still around. Sarah, the daughter of Asher, um, had a tradition from Yaakov and from Yosef, which is mentioned in the Pesukim and Beratius, that they would know the real Redeemer because he would say, he would use those words, pakot pakadati, that Hashem says, I have, uh, pakot pakadati kind of means I remember, or it's more, it's I've, uh, I've appointed or initiated. I, I've started it off. So the pekida, there's two levels, there's two stages of the geula. There's zechira, God remembering. In other words, bringing it to the forefront of attention. God always has full attention on everything. But the masha would be for us, that there's things that we are aware of consciously and things we're not really thinking about right now. When we're aware of something consciously, it's ready to activate. When it's in the back of our minds, it's not ready to act on. So Zahira stage of Geula is God saying, okay, this is now queued up and ready to activate. Pekida is the command, go forth. Okay. It also means like to remember, like Vayifkoda Lokimes Sarah, usually Hashem remembered Sarah and sent her a baby, right? But Vayifkoda actually means he activated it. He pulled the trigger and then it starts. Okay, so Pakod Pakadati, when this Messiah will come, which in this case was Moshe, and say pakot pakadati, then you know that really this is the time of the geula. Moshe had a speech defect, right? He had burned his mouth as a baby, and so he couldn't say pakot pakadati in his normal speech. When Moshe spoke and what came out was God's words, he spoke perfectly clearly, and anyone who needed to hear him could hear him. He didn't need an amp to talk to two million people. He could stand in the front and everyone gather around and everyone could hear him. Everyone could hear him clearly and he could speak clearly. If he was speaking on his own, he had a serious speech defect. He couldn't say those lip sound, b and p, right? He couldn't say those. So what made it powerful that he came and said Pakot Pakadati wasn't just, aha, he knows the words because he's Jewish. Of course he knows the words. Everyone knows that that's what they're waiting for is to hear those words. But when Hashem told him to say Pakot Pakadati and he said those words and they came out and like, that's not Moshe talking. Moshe doesn't speak like that, right? We could see that this was God's words coming from Moshe's mouth. And in fact, this is fundamental because think about it, the whole Torah ultimately was taught to us through Moshe. Torah Tzivalan Moshe, right?
I think about like in Shul, when you point to the Torah and say, Vizos HaTorah, this is the Torah, Asher Sam Moshe Lifnei Vene Yisrael, that Moshe placed before the Jewish people, Al Pi Hashem, according to the mouth of God. It was God's mouth in Moshe's mouth, so to speak, talking. He's the mouthpiece. If he's the mouthpiece, then we would not identify him separately from God himself. Okay, when someone's mouth speaks, we don't say that it's their mouth talking, unless we're being like poetic in some strange way. We say it's them talking. It's right, because their brain is like doing the thinking and their heart is doing the feeling, and it comes out of their lips. But we don't identify that as separate from the person. We don't say them, well, their mouth said it, but, right? Because that is the expression of what's inside. Moshe seems to have been someone, and we see other hints of it. He was Anav Mikol Adam, most humble of all people. Meaning he didn't, what he was filled with was only the Anochilus. He was not filled with self. Everyone is on some continuum of that. Moshe reached a peak that no one else has reached or can reach. But everyone, hypothetically, is along this continuum of, is it ego or is it the godliness within? What is being expressed here? What am I thinking about? So here's Rabbeinu Bachya. Source tests. Uksiv. Kasher Adoni Dober. As my master has said. Uksiv. Esasher Diber Hashem Elavdecha Kei Whatever Hashem has said to your servant, so shall we do. Klomar ki divri Moshe him divri Hashem. In other words, the words of Moshe are the words of God. This is like a fundamental aspect of faith. And what the Rambam taught us was the reason we trust in that is because we all witnessed it. This is not something we would give. We don't believe other people when they say this. And the Torah tells us, lo kam. Sorry. Right. Well, that's, that's been paraphrased into the song. You did ask if we're into that. But lo kam navi odebi Yisrael kemoshe. No other prophet shall arise. Uh, navi actually means one who speaks the word of God. Niv is speech. Um, no other uh, mouthpiece for God shall arise amongst Israel like Moshe. Asher yedao Hashem panim el panim. Whom God yedao knew him, made him known, maybe? Yeah, More? It's not yidao, right? Kind of like the passive, though. Yeah, face-to-face. It may be more of a reference to that panim el panim diber Hashem imachem, that God spoke to you, and therefore you know that Moshe was speaking in this face-to-face manner. Okay. Ki hukli l'ruach ha-kodesh muchan l'nevuah b'chol esu v'chol sha'ah. Moshe was a vessel for Holy Spirit, always at the ready for prophecy at any moment. To be that, you know, Nevi'im, they used to have schools for Nevi'ah. Did you know this? This is like weird. Can you imagine the waiting list to get in? The application for like Harry Potter. <laughs> they used to have, right, there were people called B'nai Hanavim. You see it in Navi sometimes. The B'nai Hanavim were the students people who were sort of studying for Nevuah, which had to do with personal development and preparation and building yourself and having the right midos, okay? And then a person could rise to the level of be able to be a Navi. It would come in waves. 
Anavi wasn't constantly at a level where they were seeing things from a godlike perspective. They would occasionally that would happen, maybe in a dream, right? These different things. But Moshe was always ready and able and prepared to do that. That means he was never, at least at the peak of his life, never looking at the world kind of through his own eyes. He was always looking at us, at the Jewish people and at the world through God's eyes and constantly maintaining that level. Now, is that because of God or is that because of his own? Both. Mm-hmm. It's both. Hashem definitely seems to have lifted him into a new level, but at the same time, it's because he had to choose it and he had to work it himself to get to it. But maybe, like, that's why he was, like, born in, with that sort of um, mida in a way. Presumably, but he had to create it, too. Right. Like all of us. We have, we have, we're stronger in some areas, weaker in other areas, but if you don't develop it, you don't develop it. He definitely had to develop it. It even seems like there was a key moment in that. Did he notice the snet or not? Did he notice that burning bush or not? And what did he notice about it? It's interesting because there was no one else for him to look up to. You know, it's not like when we look at, like, somebody and there's a me that they have, he, he needed God to do that. Yeah, there's nowhere, there is no one up there beyond. Yeah, that's a good, I like that. (laughs) Okay. Udvarav divrei Hashem heim. Moshe's words are the word of God. Okay. Sorry, I see I quoted the whole source here, but it's not. Okay. All right. Pakod pakarati. This I heard in a share from Rabbi Hartman. It goes like this. The secret code is Pakod Pakadati. So the Medrash teaches us that Menatsapach or Mansapach, people say different ways, Osioski Ula. I just noted those words right there in Sorciot Aleph. That means the final letters, Mem, Nud, Tzadik, Pei, and Chaf, are the letters that have final versions. One version for in the middle of a word and another model for the end of a word, an extended model typically for the end of the word. Those are the letters of redemption. And it gives different um, sources, different words that tie those letters to redemptions. Um, Trying to remember what some I some at one time I had like a whole list of them. Anyway, well, the final one is tzaddik. It's for the final geula, and it ties to the pasuk tzemach tzedek, uh, a righteous flowering. That's the final redemption. Mitzrayim is the letter pay. It's also very interesting. Okay, it's the letter pay, and the pasuk is pakod pakariti. Mm-hmm. I have I have appointed them. Okay, that's the letters. Now, you'll notice that in Pakot Pakati, there is no final pay. It's a double first pay, which tells you a little something about the nature of the final letters. That 
they're not only extended and longer, they are more so of whatever the quality is of the letter that they are. So if you have a pay and you have it again, as sort of a repeated pay or a superimposed pay, you get more payness, <laughs> which would then visually be expressed as a larger pay and have some kind of different, more extreme nature than what it has on its own in normal circumstances. Okay, it's just an interesting point. All, in all of these cases, I think it's, I'm trying to think, I don't think any of the cases where it uses it, where it's telling you that that letter is a letter of redemption is not a final letter, even though it's talking about the letters as final letters. They're final because that's the when, when they're expressed like that, they become final, and that ends the gullus of it. It gets more fully expressed. That double pay, okay, the letter pe, pe means mouth, is a reference to pe el pe adabrabo. Pakod pakarati is a double pay. Why is the letter of Yitzhak Mitzrayim a double pay? It's because it's pakod pakarati, and it's because it's pe el pe. The nature of this redemption is it is Hashem speaking and none other. And therefore, when it's Moshe, who's the mouthpiece, there's, if we're talking about us hearing it, that means there is some sort of effect of force upon nature that turns it into the sound waves that we can hear. Normally, that would be some sort of malach. In this case, it was Moshe, but it's pe'el peh, it's mouth on mouth. Superimposed, two mouths, one over the other. Moshe's lips are moving, God's words are emanating. So he says, if you have you ever been to a seum of Gemara, like a Masachas of Gemara? So you for sure noticed that all of a sudden, I think I brought this in here, right? The text of a seum on Gemara. Can't be I didn't. That would be so mean. Yeah. It's all the way at the end, and it doesn't seem to have a number on this one. Hadran alach maseches, whatever, brachos. The hadran alach. Daitan alach maseches, brachos, daitan alach. Okay, this is beautiful, and we know you. And then all of a sudden we say, Yehi ratzon milfanecha, Hashem elokeinu velokei avoseinu. May it be your will, Hashem, that your Torah should be our constant expertise. It's what we specialize in, but Olam has it in this world. And may it also stay with us to the next world. Hanina bar Papa, Rami bar Papa, Nachman bar Papa, Achai bar Papa, Abba. You've heard this, right? You notice it when it, when it goes by. It's the only piece of the Hadron that really jumps out when they're saying it. Abba bar Papa, Rafram bar Papa, Rochish bar Papa, Sorchav bar Papa, Ada bar Papa, Daro bar Papa. Sorry, what? <laughs> right? You're always like, what? And then they go on, and then it's like, everyone like says Mazel Tov. So. It, it's somebody's family. It's the opposite of lineage. It's his 10 kids. There was a Rav Papa, and he had 10 children. And whenever they would finish learning a Maseches, he would call together all 10 kids and their families, and they would have a big Suda, a giant Suda, and it was very beautiful. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so what? All right. Um... So he quoted the Yamshel Shlomo. I think he said it was in the name of the Ramah. 
at the edge of Parak Shri and Pavakama. I didn't go look it up. Where he says, you know what the name Papa is? It was a person, Papa. His name, it's Pei Pei Aleph. That's the letters Pe El Pe. Not, not that Rav Papa was the level of Moshe. He's saying, why do we suddenly bring up the family of Rav Papa in the middle of Asiyam Hashas or Asiyam Asachas? When we finish a tractate of the oral Torah, oral is Be'al Peh, received by mouth, that is the time when we suddenly evoke, we're evoking that special quality of Moshe Rabbeinu, of Torah Shaval Peh, of Pe'el Peh, Pe'el Peh. And there happens to be this Rav whose name is an acronym of Pe'el Peh and who had 10 sons, which has its own little piece to it. So no one is in, he says, who remes elmailas Moshe Rabbeinu, shehu osios papa. No one is in Moshe's league, but we're going to follow his lead. When it comes to Moshe, pe'el pe'adabrebo, God says, I speak directly through his mouth. Shechina medaberes mitoch grono, the Zohar says. The Shechina spoke from his throat. It wasn't his own speech. By the way, I, I would just suggest that whenever you have a one that gets split to ten, which is Rav Papa and his ten sons, then the ten is a total completion of the one. It's a process that took ten stages, and now you get back to the wholeness of oneness. Always. Always. There's ten spheros, right? I think that that's also part of the hint here of the Pelpe, because each individual person we are supposed to follow in the path of Moshe, and we are supposed to give over Torah Shabal Peh, but we each only know parts of it. We understand it differently. The whole thing of Torah Shabal Peh, you have different, you have, will have different opinions going. People seeing different angles of it. Moshe had it all. So it gets split amongst different people. But that itself is how we get to the full unity of it, is through the fact that everyone is contributing their part. That's the whole nature of Tzalem Elohim in general, is that everyone is shining in a certain aspect of the godliness. Okay. So when it comes to the nature of, the nature of, let's not go there. All right. When it comes to the concept of Baruch Shein Kvod Machus which is what? That is the time that Moshe is going up Har Sinai. He's passing through the land of Malachim on his way to somewhere higher. And he overhears Baruch Shem Kvod Vo'ed. The name, the expression, of, the expression of God's Malchus is blessed forever and ever. And he comes and teaches that to us. He could say it. But can we say it? Do our mouths, are, are we at that level, like, even of the malachim? Moshe then goes on to exceed it. Maybe one thing the Medrash is telling us is, don't think he brought that pasuk to you from even higher levels. He brought you Torah from there. This Baruch Shem, this is from the world of malachim. It's stolen. What does stolen mean? It means it doesn't really belong to me. I don't have full ownership over it. We really don't have time for that discussion, but I'll tell you, like, in short, the Maharal explains the idea of kinyan, of ownership, as an extension of identity. When something becomes within the circle of what you identify as you and yours, that's what kinyan means. It's not really about the buying. It's about, does it feel like it's you? 
Is there something of you, like your name called upon it? Okay, that's the Kenyan. If you don't have a Kenyan on it, it's stolen. It's not yours. Okay, Baruch Shein Kvod is something that belongs to Malachim. When we say it, our identity is not there with it. Can't we say it's borrowed? <laughs> <laughs> we're, pl- we're not planning to give it back. <laughs> we don't want to give it back. But it's not because there's something wrong with us you saying it. It's because you don't say that unless you're holding there. So we say it in a whisper. On Yom Kippur, when we're like a malach, and we leave behind the physical body, and we leave behind the needs of the body, and we spend all day dressed in white and and in prayer, and really transporting ourselves to another place, we say it out loud. Right? So it's not... The, the stolen aspect is not like now we've taken it away and they don't have it anymore. They didn't lose it. What's stolen is that realization when I'm saying it, I'm, I don't really have it. That, I think, more than I think, I'm quite sure that that is the message of that metrish. Because it doesn't make, what's so uncomfortable is like, but you stole it, but yeah, but when you steal a cloak, the other person doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. When you steal Baruch shame, nobody's lost it. Mm-hmm. We've gained it. And nobody seems angry at us about it. Other than when you're in preschool and they tell you you should whisper it that the Malachim shouldn't know that you took it. I'm not sure what that source is, <laughs> if there is one. It's probably just this state, this passage, right? It's us, when I say it in a whisper, then I am aware that I'm aspiring to it, but I don't fully have it. If I fully had it, I would just say it. So the whisper is like an, a reflection of my reality and a reminder of my reality, both. We say it, but we don't say it. We don't say it, but we do say it. Because we desire and thirst for the level of our mouths open and only Hashem's will comes out. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. But where are we really? And, and by the way, in Shema, we assume that we're approaching it. We could get really close to it at the level of Malachim, at least to the level of Baruch Shein Kavot. There's a higher level, that's Shema Nasri. Talk about whisper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's almost no sound really at all, hardly. Only you have to hear it. That will be a separate conversation, all right? So the ultimate step... We said in Shema, we, we strive for a level of it's Hashem and me. It's, it's him and it's me and I want to do his will. Ultimately, we're going to be trajecting toward a Shemona Esri where there's almost no sense of self at all. It all becomes Hashem and I become subsumed into that. That Baruch Shem is the first indication of where your Shema could take you in that direction. In Shema, we say it's just Hashem and me, and that the, I want to aim so that the me, <clears throat> the me that comes out is really him. So Moshe is the Pe'el Peh. Moshe is the Panim El Panim. It's like the Kodesh HaKadoshim, right? Mm-hmm. Where the Aron doesn't take up space. It's there, but it doesn't take space. 
and the and Dvar Hashem Yerushalayim. That's where Torah comes through. So when Hashem sent Moshe, and yet Chazal tell us it was Hashem and there was no Malach, and Moshe's like, well, I was the Malach. It's because he was at a higher level than even a Malach. A Malach, there's an identity. There's a Gavriel or a Raphael. He's purely an emanation of divine will, and yet we could define and say there's some kind of identity that goes to it. When it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem sends Moshe because he's a free-willed creature whose will of God's will is so perfectly enmeshed that what comes out is only God. He's not a God. We don't worship him. Hashem says the proof will be that when you get back to this mountain, they'll worship me. Nobody's worshiping Moshe. Right? We can understand, but, but at the same time, we can know that what comes out of him is only the divine. Okay, and we, we want to try and project that. And also, I mean, the Torah shows, anyways, I mean, the side note, that Moshe wasn't perfect, so... He wasn't, but he seems to achieve something close to perfection over the course of his lifetime. Yeah. Okay, so I'll, I'll just end with one last thought, and this is what I was thinking of in the card. But instead of starting, like, a new piece of this is that it occurred to me, just as I was arriving here, that really this answers a question just that I had. It's not, not really to do with Baruch Hashem. It answers a question I've had for years, which is the end of the Torah. It's so intense and beautiful. It ends with the death of Moshe. Because once Moshe is gone, you don't have this Torah, this concept of every single exact word and letter and dot and crown is exactly the word of God may have come through the mouth of Moshe, but it's the word of God. With his death, that's over. Now we move to Sefer Yoshua. It's a different kind of story. Okay. But it ends by saying, I have to tell you, my brain for many years kind of ended the Torah there. There's two more psukim. For all of the signs and wonders which God sent him to do in the land of Egypt. For Pharaoh and his servants and all the land. And the whole mighty, the strong hand. And the awe and one great awe. That Moshe did before the eyes of all of Israel. Wasn't that what God did when he took us out of Egypt? I think this answered it. When Moshe said, I was the Malach, and yet he's Miani, who am I? There's no me here when I'm doing this. That's what the Torah is testifying. There was nobody ever like Moshe, and there never will be another Moshe. We still all have to strive to emulate him. But we don't expect to reach his level. That's okay. We're us. We're the, bar, we're the sons. <laughs> the ten sons. We get a piece. Moshe was Rabbeinu because he contained in himself all the souls of the Jewish people. He could be the teacher for everybody because everyone could, not only could he understand each person in Kali Yisrael, but we could see that in him. We could see something of ourselves in him. Like he, he got us. Okay? It's very hard to find a teacher who really gets you. So like you treasure that. Moshe Rabbeinu, Every single person felt that. Okay. And yet, it's like attributing, he was the one who did it. It was his hands, it was his mouth, it was his, that God pushed. But, but it wasn't Moshe himself. 
who was speaking. Moshe was just fully implementing. And he never tried to take the credit. And we never tried to give it to him. <laughs> Which is to our credit. Right. To our credit. Okay. So Mitzvah Hashem will continue. That was kind of an introduction to Baruch Hashem over there. And Mitzvah Hashem will continue. Thank you. Intro back. Intro back. Thank you. Back. I mean, you always have lots of some to keep you busy. Amazing.